Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, You can't see it, but today is a celebration. Um, We are, there are a number of us on the show today, and we can also see each other. We're doing this by video, which we don't normally do. So for us, it's very exciting. But the reason that we're having this celebration is because if you can possibly believe it, and I really can't, we've been doing these weekly podcasts sharing everything we know about college admissions and college finance for five years today. So very exciting. Um, you know, we started this five years ago because we are able to reach a number of families and students as part of our overall practice at College Coach. We have been around for more than 20 years now, and um, we do reach a lot of people through their employer-sponsored benefit and, of course, with families who work with us directly, Um, but we never really feel like we reach enough families and we never really feel like we help enough. Or I guess maybe the better way to put it is we want to help more. And so that was really where the idea for this podcast came from. And um, we wanted it to be a place where you could come and get real information that you could trust about getting into college and paying for college. And that's really where this all came from. And when I think back on those initial shows, I actually think Sally was my very first guest. Uh, <laughs> I was. I, uh, yeah, you were. That's what I thought. And um, those initial shows were a little bit on the fly and a little bit <laughs> not as good as I think as they are now. Um, I think in the very first few, I did four segments per each show. And that was just nowhere near enough time to really dig into everything and also required way too much thinking about what we're we going to talk about for four segments versus three. <laughs> Um, But when we committed to this for the long run, um, we added Ian and Sally as hosts to share the duties. Um, We have an internal producer who helps us organize the shows. Uh, We did really start it out small. Um, Now we reach close to 750,000 listeners in more than 26 countries, which is mind boggling to me. Uh, And today I'm very excited because My co-hosts, Sally, who you just heard, and Ian are here, along with Shannon, who I really think of as our college coach um, finance co-host, and they're all here with the show today to share some stories. So, hi, everybody. Welcome. Good morning, Beth. Yes, well, morning where you are. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> starting not hey, to be morning where we are. We're coming to you from coast to coast here with College Coast. That's right. We are. Yeah. We are. Um, all right. Well, I thought that we could start with some stories from our time in admissions and financial aid. Um, and so one of the things I feel like people can get really stressed about is meeting their admissions officer um, before they apply and how important that is to the process. So, Ian, I'm going to toss this first one to you. Ever remember anyone you met at a college fair? That I met at a college for the first time? Not really. And um, I think that that might come as a surprise to some students because I can remember sort of little glimmers of students that were certainly trying to make an impression on me. Um, but in a college fair setting, from the perspective of an admission officer, I would get there, you know, 10 minutes early set up all of my stuff. We had great brochures and literature. We had some really cool bookmarks. That was one of the features of Reed College back in the day. (laughs) People could come by and grab a bookmark. It would sort of signal to them that we love to read at Reed, um, which I thought was great. Oh, that's terrible. I love it. It's not too early for dad (laughs) jokes out there. Any Reed prospects out there, cross it off the list right now. (laughs) Absolute cheesiness. (laughs) If you don't like jokes like that, you might not like Reed College. So I'd get there and I'd get set up and then you have this flood of people that come into the room and your goal is to try to connect with all of the people that want to have a conversation with you. And so one of the things that can be really frustrating is you have an entire line of people that are waiting to ask a question and one kid at the front of that line is just dominating all of your time. He's standing there and asking questions and they're not really good questions, but he, you're 
you want to be a good admission counselor. And so you're there engaging with that student. That has happened to me a few times. I never really remembered who that student was, which is probably fortunate for that kid. (laughs) But the upshot of your question, Beth, is that in the context of a college fair, you're not really making individual connections. You're looking to introduce the college to a broad number of students. And I think that certainly when I was a student who was looking at schools, I thought that the college fair was a chance for me to make an impression on an admission officer who would say, oh, wow, that kid is awesome. I can't wait to go back and tell everyone about him. Um, it doesn't really work that way. So uh, I don't know if you all like have any memories of connecting with someone at a college fair where you had a, a meaningful interaction. Those are really, really rare to come by, I think. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would actually agree with you. Even at Whittier College, um, it just wasn't, you know, where... I didn't, I wasn't always surrounded by crowds of people like I was at Chicago where there'd just be like a scrum around my table, yeah. you know, um, at Whittier it would be sort of like a nice trickle, you know, love Whittier, by the way, this is, says nothing about Whittier's quality, but you know, they have a higher admit rate. Um, and uh, even at there, the students did that was that didn't tend to be where the students made impressions. They really made an impression on me when they came in for an interview or maybe even I met them at a reception or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I don't know, Shannon, I'm guessing in your line of work, there really wasn't this on the road piece where you might meet families. No, no, but that, so what it reminds me of it, I think what you guys are saying is it points to kind of the dual role that you all had as admissions counselors that I didn't necessarily have as a financial aid officer. I was always behind the scenes. I wasn't the face of the school. I remember when I worked at BU, we would, um, we on financial aid, we were on the fifth floor, admissions was on the sixth floor. We didn't have a tremendous amount of contact with the admissions counselors, but we would sometimes wind up in the elevator with them going up <laughs> to each of our offices. Yeah. Literally, Ian, it was a big day because the admissions <laughs> officers were all so incredibly good looking. <laughs> we are. Us in financial yeah. aid, we, you know, just crawled out from under a rock with our <laughs> But the admissions officers were so well put together and, you know, dressed nicely and hair and makeup done, that kind of thing. So we were always so impressed. We're like, oh, it's like we're in the, the elevator with a movie star. But I think that that speaks to the fact that part of your job was to promote the school, right. be the face of the school. Uh, and that's what you were doing at college fairs. Um, and then later on, you would come back to the the office and be more like the gatekeepers. Um, but yeah. I think people don't understand that about the, the point of a college fair. Yeah. yeah. And, and Shannon, we're not looking so glamorous when we're hunkered down in reading season <laughs> no. and plowing through 35 <laughs> a day. Then we, we look terrible. So yeah. we can That's do ex- both. exactly right. No. And, and I think it's a really good point that you're making Shannon. And I think that I've had questions from families, um, you know, Hey, I heard that I should, and you know how I feel. If anybody has been listening to this show for any amount of time, you know that the phrase I heard that just basically <laughs> makes me want my head want to explode. Yeah. But <clears throat> I heard that I should get um, like a business card. It has my picture on it. It has a couple of key points about me that I should be handing out to admissions officers. And all I can say to that is no. I just think it's a. I just think it's a bad idea. The person who asked it said, "I feel like that maybe would be trying too hard," and I think so. The fact is, we spend so much time talking about essays and extracurriculars and coursework choices and putting those all into your application in a meaningful way, and that is going to be the difference maker. Now. Should you go to the college fair? Absolutely. Should you visit the table of the schools that are interesting to you? Sure. And if they have a card for you to fill it out, definitely fill it out. Should you be going to other schools that maybe you haven't heard of? Absolutely. But as I think everyone is now sharing and hopefully people are taking away, it's not the place where it's really a place for you to have your hat on like what looks interesting to me, not how can I make you interested in me, mm-hmm. you know, and I use this analogy, but you know, when you are in the dating world, what is less attractive than someone who's so like, oh, please like me, like me, like me, right? You want someone who maybe you have to work for it a little bit harder, or it's not exactly obvious that they are really into you. And I don't think it's a bad thing to kind of go into this process. 
with sort of a similar um, attitude in mind. And yeah, hopefully it just takes a little bit of that pressure off where you walk into the college fair and you don't have to feel like you're 100% on your game at every single table. You're just trying to gather some information. And that might give you some freedom to, to ask questions that really matter to you rather than trying to say, hey, do you want to see my activities resume, which we don't want to see. Right. Um, but Sally, you alluded to interviews. Um, and so I wanted to take Beth's question about the college fair and ask you, do you remember students that you interviewed uh, way back when you were an admission officer that made an impression on you, um, whether it was in just in that moment or the relationship extended past that point? I definitely remember students that I interviewed. I mean, that, those were... Um, and I'm, I'm a little uneasy saying this because I think that there's already a lot of sort of hysteria about interviews, but I will say it, it was in some of those more like extended conversations where you really get to know students. So I also want to be clear that I would often remember students from school visits as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, places like that. But that's where you kind of were able to get to know a student in more in depth. And and uh, boy, I mean, I have to say, one of the downsides of working at a place like Chicago is that it was harder to do that. Whereas at Reed and especially at Whittier, I so got to know my students. I mean, at Whittier, that was a place where any student could get in to see me, um, you know, and, and so I really, I mean, I got to know them well enough that sometimes even like when it, when, when I left Whittier to go to Chicago, students started coming in to see me going, who's going to help me now? I mean, you know, like, yeah. you know, students who I'd admitted, but maybe hadn't even started or students who were um, already at Whittier, but like the word spread through the community. So those kinds of things, like, yeah, they can have an impact. I mean, we're human, right? Like, that's one of the things that I want people to know, too. I think that's really important. I think that sometimes people see us so much as as gatekeepers that they don't realize that actually at a lot of institutions, and, well, even at places like Chicago, when I had those connections, I enjoyed it. I just didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of time for it. And I I kind of mourned, actually, that that, like, losing that time to have those connections. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that that strikes me about listening to those stories, Sally, is just, you know, I do know, too, that when families and students get really are very interested in those highly selective schools and they spend a lot of times an inordinate amount of time focused on those schools, visiting those schools, going to their evening events. Ironically, those are the schools where you are going to be least able to make an impact with anything beyond your application Mm -hmm. and where they care the least about you attending those things. And and the smaller schools or the schools where they have a little bit more bandwidth, not only are you going to get more attention at those it also might be a really good um, setting of expectations of what's going to happen when you enroll at those mm-hmm. schools. Absolutely. Right? And, yeah. you know, you're going to get more, you may get more attention, more personalized experience at some of the smaller schools versus the bigger or more selective ones, mm-hmm. like ultra selective ones, because we all worked at selective schools, but yeah. Listen, I still remember one of my students um, at Whittier who just would come to see me all the time, and I really shepherded him through the process. Um, He did not have access to a good college counselor at his high school, or I I shouldn't say she wasn't good, but I think she was overwhelmed. So I was the one saying, this is what you should take. I mean, it went to that level of service, so... Yeah. Um, it, it's and I was happy to do it. I was truly happy to do it. And I still remember this kid's name. I'm not gonna say it, but um, you know, it, he was so cute. He was this six foot four football player who would cut who, and he was one of the ones who came in and said, "Well, who's gonna help me now that you're leaving?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. was like, "Oh my God, you are adorable." And <laughs> here's your advisor, and I promise they're very nice. So yeah. I I was never able to do things like that at Chicago, and not even really at Reed. Although I will say that I had a lovely time as a transfer advisor. I got to do a lot more of that when I was transfer advisor at Reed. So I've, I've got a read story for you. Just this past weekend, um, uh, for the 12th year in a row, I went with a bunch of friends uh, who all played Frisbee together in college uh, down to Arizona. We played a Frisbee tournament. And one of the guys who was at that tournament, his name is Mikey. So I'm, I'm happy to, to go ahead and put Mikey out here on blast. Uh, I think he'd be happy to hear it. But what's really interesting about Mikey is that um, we played Frisbee together. I was his coach when he was a student. I also interviewed him. 
in the admission office when he was applying. Now, when I interviewed him, we talked a little bit about Frisbee. We covered a lot of other topics, and he was a good kid. He wasn't somebody that in that moment made a super strong impression on me, but I, I liked him. And when it came time to review his application, I was like, oh, awesome. I remember that conversation with Mikey, and that really helped me to, to feel positive about his application. I was still looking for the grades, the testing, the courses, all of that stuff. But he got in on his own merits. And then I got to basically watch this kid grow up from his freshman year of college all the way through college to graduate. Um, and now we're, we're really good friends. Um, and it's just the small schools, I think, offer those kinds of opportunities where staff members are connections that you can make, their relationships that you can form. And you don't become, you know, best friends with the person that interviewed you ultimately. But there are a lot of kids that I interviewed when I was in the, the admission office who I still keep in touch with um, many years after the fact, after they enrolled at Reed. And I think that that's a, a real special aspect of, of the interview, especially at those smaller schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I actually think that's a really good point and a really good place to take a quick break. And we'll be back in a few with some more stories. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. We are, if you are just tuning in, we are talking uh, about stories, stories from our times as admissions and financial aid officers, um, stories of students and families um, that we've worked with in our time here at College Coach. Um, But really quickly, before we get back to those stories, have you entered our anniversary contest yet? If you have not, you should. All you have to do is write a review of the podcast, this podcast, obviously, on Apple Podcasts. Um, And simply leaving a review is going to enter you to win two free hours of my time. I like to think that that's a great prize. I guess, you know, you could make that call yourself uh, to discuss all your college admissions questions. I will say if you have more college finance questions, then you could get two hours of Shannon's time instead. Um, Or you could split it up between the two of us. Um, You do have to enter by February 25th. We have chosen a relatively random day, but why not? February 25th. You have to put a review on by then. And we're going to announce the winner on the March 5th show, which I believe Ian is hosting. So Ian is going to be announcing the big winner on his show. (laughs) All right, let's get back to our stories. Um, Beth, you didn't say it, but I'll say it. Five-star reviews are fantastic. So five-star reviews especially. Bring those on. 
Yeah, we would prefer those. Um, presumably, if you're here and you're still listening, you think there's some value in this That's podcast. Right. So, yes. um, all right. Um, in the second segment here, we wanted to maybe talk a little about cautionary tales. So, things that maybe stood out to us, but in the wrong way. Um, and Shannon, we have not heard anything much from you in the first segment because it didn't really lend itself to <laughs> financial aid stuff. So how about you? Can Are there things you can remember that maybe were not handled as well as they could have been on the finance side? Yeah, so there's lots of them, but I would say my, my favorite cautionary tale that I often use as a cautionary tale when, when I'm speaking to families is when I first started at Tufts um, and I was working with the dental students. It was really one of my very first days and one of my first duties was to um, meet with students to do exit counseling sessions where um, we talked to them about the debt they had taken on as a student, what kind of loans they had, what their repayment options were, that, that kind of stuff, which by the way, that was another kind of uh, a a benefit to a small school, particularly the dental school within Tufts, very small. I think we had 600 students. So we got to sit down personally with students and talk about uh, entering repayment. At most schools, you do a quick tutorial on the computer and that's it. But my very, very first exit counseling session with one of my students, I had gone through kind of my spiel. This is how much you borrowed in these kinds of loans. This is the interest rate on these loans. This is how much has accrued in interest. And by the time you're done paying them back in 10 years, this will be how much you would have paid back. I get through this whole spiel and this student says to me, now, when you say interest, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and oh, I said, boy. you know, come again. It took me a, a minute to catch on. And he said, what does interest mean? So this was a student who had, you know, not only gotten through four years of undergrad, gotten to into, first of all, a very selective dental school, successfully completed dental school, had borrowed over $200,000 in student oh loans gosh. and had no idea what interest was. So that is my favorite cautionary tale. You know, for me as a counselor, I'm glad I had that experience because it made me a better counselor to, you know, understand, you know, that to make sure I'm meeting people where they're at and not making assumptions about what they know. Um, for that student, it's maybe not such a great experience for him to have had to have borrowed all these loans, had no idea what he was getting himself into, what he was paying for school because he didn't understand the concept of interest. Um, so that's something, you know, I take to all the families I work with now to make sure you're not you know, going, make sure you're going into this process with your eyes wide open, particularly that the paying part of it and understand, you know, what this school is going to cost you. You know, it's easy enough to sign on the dotted line for, you know, a $20,000 loan, which is maybe all you need to get through your first year. And that sounds reasonable, but understand, you know, this is a four-year commitment. So that's likely going to be an $80,000 loan. And with interest, it's well over a hundred thousand. And what does that look like in terms of monthly payments? And is this something that your you and your family um, are able to handle? So just making sure that, that you're understanding what you're getting into in terms of the financial side of things uh, is, is one of the biggest lessons I like to share that, you know, um, with my families that I'm working with, um, as it was, that really struck home when that happened to me talking <laughs> to a student, that not everybody is doing that. Um, and, you know, if, if there is stuff that you don't understand, make sure that you're asking questions, you know, talk to your guidance counselor at school, talk to um, the financial aid office at the school, talk you talk to us. You can always send your questions into us um, just to make sure that, that you understand every part of this process because it is complicated and not everybody has, you know, the, the guidance at, at home. Um, so make sure that, that you are going into things with eyes wide open. Yeah. Very good advice. How about you, Sally? Any cautionary tales come to yeah. mind for you? This one's for the parents out there. <laughs> um, uh, there was a student who had applied to the Ivies, University of Chicago, and University of Iowa. And apparently we waitlisted him. All the Ivies said no. And so I started getting calls literally almost every day from his mother about whether he could get off, you know, the waitlist. And so I finally said to her... Um, you know, we really need to be hearing from your son 
<laughs> that's that's really the person that we should be hearing from. Oh, no. And so she sort of hesitates and says, well, you know, he's busy in school. And I said, well, he could send me an email too. But this really needs to come from him. So she keeps calling. And 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 at this point, she started to complain about how hard he worked and it didn't he didn't get in anywhere. And um, I'm sure that he did work very, very hard, but it doesn't help you to tell your admission officer to complain to the admission officer. This this didn't make me think, you know what, this parent is someone that I want in my community. Mm-hmm. This is not, that was not what was coming to mind. In all honesty, though, the biggest thing, though, was that I never heard from her son. Yeah. So it was like, you know, I don't even know if he really does want to get off the wait list here. I mean, he may be actually quite happy to go to the University of Iowa, which frankly is an excellent school. And, you know, he was probably getting really excited about it. I'm guessing that's why I didn't hear from him. But regardless of why or why not, I didn't. And he did not come off the wait list. So um, so just know, though, like I bring up that story, though, because it's kind of interesting to me when when this I don't know, maybe this is overly harsh and um but when people kind of try and bully their way into a school and I'm like, you have, I have no incentive to give you what you want here. This is right. not <laughs> like you're making it worse, actually, you know, whereas by contrast, mm-hmm. you know, when students have sort of would write me letters and just say, look, of course, I was disappointed I didn't get in, but I still love your school. I would still love to come. That's where, you know, and then sort of and then let it go. Yes. You know, like made that contact and then let it go. That's where the really positive um, feelings, that's where I got the positive feelings from them. I brought their um, files up to my dean and and they were part of the discussion. It didn't mean they got in, but it did mean they were part of that discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Ian, how about you? You know, there was actually, I think this was something that we were talking about internally fairly recently, a couple of months ago. Um, A parent had asked a question about approaching standardized testing and had just shared that my rising junior has taken the SAT six times. And I think the educator said, wait, wait, six practice tests, right? You mean six practice tests? And the parent said, "Uh, no, six times officially. Um, And... I think, you know, that sort of is a moment of, I don't think I've ever had a student that has taken a standardized test that many times, period. Um, but to take it that many times and also have the expectation that you're going to continue to take the exam more times after that was really striking to all of us, I think, when we, we heard this story. And, you know, what it sort of underscores for me is that I see a lot of scenarios where parents, especially parents of younger students, are in a real hurry to start this process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't do college research just yet, and you're certainly not gonna start the essays until junior year at the earliest, although I think that's too early. Um, And so testing is there for you. And you say, well, let's get started on testing. We're gonna do prep for the SAT, and we're gonna make sure that you have a tutor to get you ready for the SAT. And it's just, it can be far too much um, and really, really overwhelm a student from the beginning. And I think it also reinforces that Uh, the wrong message about what testing is, uh, especially at this point. More and more schools are going test optional. Uh, It is a piece of the puzzle. Colleges are looking for good community members, um, students who are strong in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And so, you know, I think a lot of parents that are focused on testing, especially early on, are sending the wrong message and creating the wrong expectation for their student. And so what I would say on that front is, is you can wait. You know, don't be in a hurry to do this stuff. You don't have to start thinking about college on the first day of high school. Um, certainly, it's good to know what's coming down the pike, and our show will help you with that. Um, but but kids should be kids as well. Uh, and, and so th- that story, I think, was just really, really striking uh, in terms of how that kid had been set up um, without really knowing, uh, you know, how many tests they were taking there. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that also struck me about that particular story was that There was no prep done. So the student was just taking the test over and over without doing anything new. So I guess the feeling was, well, they'll just improve because they're taking it so much time, so many times. But actually, interestingly enough, next week, um, we're going to be doing a segment on free test prep resources that are out there and what the best options are. Um, Because I do, we all appreciate that test prep is expensive and isn't something that everyone has available to them. But to go into these tests cold 
And then to think that the way to improve is to just keep taking it is probably not probably is not a good, not a good, not a good way to think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We just want five minutes with that parent at the front end, just before they make those choices. Just like, right. let me just give, let me just have right. five minutes with you to tell you why this is a bad idea. You know? That sounds vaguely yeah. threatening, Ian. That like, <laughs> no, it's five You're going to really drive minutes. that point home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think actually a cautionary tale that comes to mind for me is I was working with a student recently who, um, in his senior year had made some curriculum choices that, um, well, uh, let me back up by saying that the student started with, didn't uh, work with anyone, didn't, I don't think, listen to the podcast, and then had made some choices along the way that meant that in his senior year, he did not have a foreign language and had also opted out of science because he had fulfilled those requirements and um, had added in some courses, but they one was a core and one wasn't in the core itself was not particularly um, challenging core and had his site set on um, a fairly selective school, not the most selective, but a pretty selective school. And the challenge was that by only talking to me or thinking about this at this point in the process, the choices had been made. It was too late um, for him to change the, the courses he had taken leading up to his senior year. We were able to swap out um, the science for something a little bit more, um, I'm sorry, to get him to add back the science to replace the less challenging other core he was going to do. But the foreign language was, that ship had sailed because he had dropped it after his sophomore year. And so while I completely, I couldn't agree more with the idea that high school is not all about college, I think not thinking far enough in advance, not sitting down and thinking about what is my plan, not understanding that you need to go above and beyond the high school's requirements, um, not for every college, certainly probably not for many colleges. However, for the kinds of colleges that are more selective that people tend to talk about, and if you are hoping to get merit aid, you're probably going to need to go above and beyond. And so not thinking enough about some of those choices and then wanting help late in the process, we can still help. It's just a matter of, wow, if, if we had just talked when you were a sophomore mm-hmm. and you could have made some different choices in junior and senior year and your options would probably be greater. So that for me is a cautionary tale around being smart um, throughout high school. And as a parent, what you can be doing is thinking a little bit about those things. You could listen to the podcast um, and engage your student with small things throughout rather than, oh, my God, you're going to apply to college in three and a half years. And we need to be worried about that now. It's more just, hey, let's think about what you're going to take this year um, so that you have a nice, clear path to this course I know you want to take when you're a senior. Um, so those are those are some things that I would love for people to to think about. You, you know, just last night, Beth, I actually had um, a sophomore that I'm working with had a conflict with a class he wanted to take as a junior. And I spent about a half an hour sort of compiling different classes that were available at his school, looked at the course catalog and gamed out what both 11th and 12th grade would look like and showed him that actually this conflict that you're seeing isn't such a big conflict because of the way that you you can think about the next two years. And so it was something where he had a huge amount of anxiety about whether he was taking a rigorous enough course load. And when we look step back and look at it from a big picture, because we could follow that path all the way down the road, he saw, okay, actually, I there isn't a big difference between option one and option two. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes taking a step back and thinking about things from that big picture, you can really get caught in the weeds looking at, I, I need to have this one more AP class. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, you don't. And and here's why. Let's take, let's, you know, take our foot off the gas just a little bit because you're still going really hard towards your goals. Yeah. Um, and that was, a, that was, he was really, really pleased to see that laid out in front of him. And I think that opportunities for us to do that are really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, All right, we are going to take another quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to move away from the cautionary tales and instead talk about some of our favorite stories. So uh, don't go away. Love it. (laughs) 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com if you're a parent of a high school student you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions about the growing number of applicants the shrinking number of spots about how even valedictorians are being turned away for families of hopeful college students it's impossible not to worry but at college coach we take the worry out Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are telling stories today. It's our fifth year anniversary show which is super exciting to us. I hope it's exciting to you guys. Probably not as exciting as it is to us. Um, And we were just sharing cautionary tales. And in our final segment, we want to end on a high note and talk about some of our favorite students and families uh, and what made them memorable and important um, to us and such that we remember them. Um, So Sally, what what do you have for us in terms of a favorite? Sure. A a student that I was just... I was so fond of him and remain so fond of him. Um, He was a lovely young man. And while he was privileged in terms of coming from a family with a lot of financial resources, um, his family had really had a lot of crises, had basically sort of fallen apart. There was a really acrimonious divorce. Uh, Mother wasn't coping. And kind of long and the short of it is that he ended up being the one who was taking care of his two younger siblings as a a 17-year-old. He was trying to take care of two um, 12-year-olds because his parents had just sort of honestly were not dealing. And uh, as a result, unsurprisingly, it completely failed his his last year of of high school um, and just... By the time I talked to him, things were much more stable. Um, you know, he was, this was actually in England, so he was going back to school. He was, uh, you know, he was, um, he was back in school. He was getting better grades. He was living with his grandparents who were taking care of everybody. So things were so much better. But he was sure that he had just basically ruined his life that that was it. And he was really down on himself for failing out when I was like, okay, um, I think that you kept it together really well (laughs) under the circumstances, but he was just really, really down on himself. So the fact, like I was able to first develop a list of colleges for him. And I still remember that when I showed him that list of colleges based on, yes, his past grades, but also what he was doing now, um, he looked at the list and he said, you mean all these schools would accept me? And I said, yeah. I mean, these these are challenging, but you have a shot at them. And these down here, absolutely, they're they're going to take you. And he was so kind of moved by it, and it gave him all this much additional optimism towards, uh, you know, towards his future. And just feeling like, I mean, he also had no idea what to do next. He wanted to go to college in the United States. 
um, but had no idea about our system, no idea about what to do. So I helped him obviously design the list. I talked him through the kind of essays we need, which are really different from what they need in England. I mean, and you know what? He ended up getting into multiple colleges and his father called me later and just thanked me so much and just said that his son feels so much better about himself than he used to. And I've never felt like I helped somebody more. And I still like, I'd love to run into him again someday and just see how he's doing. Yeah. I love that story. How about you, Shannon? Um, I mean, you're giving money, so sometimes I'm sure there's some feel-good stuff there. That's <laughs> like me, right? Yeah. Um, to, to Sally's point of the father calling and thanking you, I will say that that can make such a difference. You know, thinking about when I first started in financial aid, I was like, this sounds like a great job. Like, you get to give away money. Everyone must love you. When, in fact, when you get there, the, the people who are happy with you honestly often just they, oh, I got money and they are move on with their lives and they never have to talk to you. And it's the people who aren't so happy with you <laughs> that, that, that are calling all the time. And um, so those uh, shout out to, to the listeners out there. Make sure that you're, you're, you're thanking the people in your life that kind of help you through this process, whether it's yeah. the financial aid officers or the guidance counselors, the teachers, the parents. Um, so just wanted to put that out there. But I'm thinking one of the... Um, times I felt like I made the most difference here at um, college coach. Um, there was a father who had called um, because uh, really kind of a tragic story. The daughter had applied early decision to the school where her mother worked and her mother had worked there for 10 years. Um, and if she got in, she was getting tuition remission because mm-hmm. her mother was employed there. So, you know, paying for college tip, get a job at a college and your kids will get tuition permission. Um, but she had applied early decision in October, as you do. Um, really helpful about getting into this school where her mother worked. And then her mother tragically passed away in mm. November. Oh. Mm. Um, and not only is that you know, terrible enough to deal w- with the loss of your mother, they were then told that since her mother was no longer employed at the school, she would no longer qualify for tuition remission. Um, the father had sort of accepted that when he talked to me and he was calling basically, um, for some help with the financial aid process. There was complications because he'd filed tax returns when the mother was alive and the mother's incomes there, issues with having to kind of remove the mother's income and issues with kind of one-time payments because of the, the death of his spouse that were problematic for financial aid purposes that, that I could help him with to in order to help him get the, the financial aid, the need-based financial aid that he was eligible for. So I helped him with all of that. Um, and then I said, but really, you know, I want you to make these need-based financial aid appeals. What I think you really need to do more than anything is appeal the loss of the tuition remission. I would talk to financial aid. I would talk to HR. I would talk to the president of the university if you have to, because I could not... Um, bear the thought that that this decision would be final, um, and you know, as I hopefully we're conveying to folks that people who work at universities are human beings, and, and I could not believe that a human being would be that heartless. So mm-hmm. I talked to him on on a Friday. Uh, he sent an email that day to the school, and then he called me on Monday that they had reinstated his tuition remission. Oh my so, so that was just That's so awesome. satisfying from my part that you know, obviously I was could not bring this girl's mother back. And this was a a terrible situation, but I was glad that I was able to help make it a little bit easier. And again, all he had to do was ask. Ask. Mm -hmm. That that I think is the lesson to all the listeners out there who are hopefully not going through such tragedy in their lives. But anything, we talk about it all the time in terms of the negotiation process, negotiating for additional scholarship money. Just ask. And you might be surprised at how often they say yes. I actually think of another quick story. I'll try not to occupy all of the time, but when I was working at Tufts, one of my students um, calling, I think she was just an incoming student at that point. I think this was my first contact with her. She had noticed in like the school newsletter, um, somebody, uh, there was like, congratulations to so-and-so, one of the students for winning such and such scholarship. And um, she had called me because she said her name, I'll, I'll say her name. Uh, I don't think she's listening. Her name was Anna 
Ibrahamian. Uh, it's sort of relevant to the story. And she said the name of the scholarship, which I actually forget the name of the scholarship. Let's call it the Kim Kardashian scholarship. It was not that. But Kim <laughs> is the most famous Armenian that I know of. So the name of the scholarship was an Armenian name. The student who had won the scholarship was an Armenian name. And she said, you know, hey, I just saw that this student won this scholarship and they both have Armenian names. I was wondering if the scholarship had anything to do with being Armenian because I'm Armenian. And I was wondering if I could apply for this scholarship. And I was so thrilled to hear from her because we had these scholarship funds at our school called Endowed Scholarship Funds. People had donated money to the school that you had to meet all these certain qualifications, check all these boxes. It was a struggle for us every year to track down Armenian students that we could award this scholarship to. And she just put herself out there. She took the initiative. She noticed the names and she said, huh, I wonder if there's something to that. She took the initiative to call me. And the next year, guess who got the uh, Kim Kardashian Memorial? <laughs> it was right. her. We didn't have to find anybody. Uh, so she, she moved to the top of the list just by taking the initiative, making contact. So she, she also exemplifies kind of everything that we talk about. Think about what makes you unique. Look for scholarships for that. Don't be afraid to ask if, if uh, ask your guidance counselor, ask organizations, your, your employer, your church, ask if they have scholarship funds, ask the college, uh, you know, if you can have a little more money. And again, you might be surprised. People say, yes, people want to help you. So uh, I think those are a couple uh, good stories that, that exemplify that. Don't be afraid to ask. Yes, I love that. I love that. How about you, Ian? I'm sure you have a favorite or two out there. Well, I joked um, in between segments that I actually don't have any favorites and don't like anyone. And then I was looking at um, I was looking at my rosters of students over the last few years, and I absolutely do. I mean, there it, it's there are so many great kids out there um, applying to such different sets of schools. And it's, it's really, I, I think the best part about this is watching a student develop their confidence over the course of the application process. And for me, the most important litmus test of whether the process has been done right is right around January, right around now, before they start to hear back from colleges, how do they feel about the work that they put in and the way that they represented themselves in their applications. And, uh, you know, for me, we, we had um, Rachel Simmons on the show last year and she was fantastic. She's the author of Enough As She Is. I think the day after she was on our show, she was on Good Morning America, which tells you a little something about our show um, <laughs> and Rachel, uh, obviously. Um, and we talked about um, basically young women and sort of developing their confidence and developing their voices. And I, I just, I look over the years and I see so many instances of young women who are finding their voices through this process, starting to sort of say, I can write this essay that really owns who I am in a way that, or about something that I might've been teased about or that I, I struggled with before, but now I'm, I'm owning that. And it's so fulfilling to see them find that confidence as they move their way into college. Um, I'll, I'll pick out one student who I, I met her um, at one point on a, a corporate site working for, for a client, um, and she was so smart. I was just so struck by how smart she was, and, and she decided she wanted to work with me directly. And I think she was concerned that she wasn't going to get in to any of the places that she'd applied, even though her essays were brilliant and fabulous. And um, she had this sort of, but can I actually do this? Can I actually get into these schools? Um, she got into every single school she applied to. Wow. Um, she she had a wonderful list of colleges, including some very highly selective schools. Um, and but it represented who she was, and she was able to feel like coming through that process. Yeah, I've I've got this. Um, she got a, a huge uh, scholarship from a special scholarship program at a school in the south. Um, and chose to go there, uh, saved her parents a ton of money um, by choosing that option over a more selective school that didn't offer her um, merit aid. And um, yeah, I, I just love those stories of students that sort of find their voice through this process and, and you know, discover that they really have something to offer colleges, the world themselves. Uh, that's what I get really excited about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, um, I think one of my favorite 
times, well, I get really excited when um, we work with families who are very much on board with our approach to the process, which is to help the student make the most of who they are, um, make good choices, but be true to who they are. Because I think we all believe this, and I say this a lot, that authenticity is everything. So what really makes a great application pop? It's being authentic. Um, And I worked with a young woman a few years ago who um, had this really interesting summer experience. Um, She was a little bit more uh, tech-minded, and um, she wasn't a great writer. And a lot of times families will come to us because their kids aren't great writers and they're very concerned and they want them to have this really brilliant essay. And the, the point I always make is, well, it's not about the best essay that I can write. It's all it's about the best essay that your your student can write. And everyone always, yeah, yep, got it, got it, sounds good. But then sometimes <laughs> they get that essay that we worked really hard on, that the student worked really hard on with some right. input from me, right, edits and stuff, and are disappointed. Um, And a couple of years ago, so this woman wrote, uh, this young woman I was working with wrote this essay. She went through probably 14 drafts of it. And when it was done, it really was very, it was a, it was a very successful essay. Was it a piece of brilliant writing like your students, Ian? It was not. Um, But did I learn something about who she was? I did. The mom initially read it and was concerned. And Mm -hmm. so what I did was I sent it to um, some of my teammates here, most of my colleagues here, and they shared what their takeaway was from it. And then the mom read that and said, oh my goodness, they've gotten her. That is exactly who yeah. she is. Yeah. I felt so, and then from then on, she basically said, clearly you've got this, right? right. So that's mm-hmm. the goal of this. <laughs> this is what's coming across. We are good. And the kid did get into her top choice school, which was a very selective institution. Um, The family was thrilled. The older sibling, who was actually technically a stronger student, had not gotten into the same institution. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily the measure of how successful we were, but I know I think the family probably figured that it was. But my favorite part of that story was that the parent was able to say, okay, this is doing what we need it to do, even though we all recognize that it wasn't the most brilliant piece of writing. Right. Um, and, and that is, for me, the, the parent was embracing, this is who my student is, this is what she's capable of, and that's what's in that application, and that is everything. So mm-hmm. that's one of my favorites. So we have, I have just about enough time to introduce the show that we're going to do um, next week. Um, So again, thank you to all three of you for not only joining me today, but for being such important members of this podcast and um, over the past five years. I've really appreciated it. Um, Next week, great example, Ian is hosting. Um, We're going to be talking about the top five things for juniors to be doing now to get started on the college process and also the top five to prepare for paying for college. So two separate top fives. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about free test prep. Um, review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, we are here every Thursday um, at 3 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.